You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, christianhumanist.org. This is Danny Anderson thanking you for listening to another episode of the Sectarian Review Podcast. As always, we're part of the Christian Humanist Radio Network, and you should check out all those shows. Uh, this week, I'm talking with uh, Coyle Neal from the City of Man podcast and associate or full professor of, of uh, political science at uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's some college in Missouri. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, clearly, we prepared well for this episode, right? Uh, uh, I think I am an associate professor of political science at Southwest Baptist University. Southwest Baptist University. See, I don't think of Missouri as being in the Southwest, and that kind of screws me up every time. You know, yeah, I, I'm sure. I'm sure I've shared this uh, when I when I saw the job advertisement pop up. Like Southwest Baptist, like I don't want to live in you know, Arizona or New Mexico. That sounds awful. It's the southwestern part of Missouri. I see. So yeah, uh, because, oh, because of your particular uh, Baptist affiliation, that would make sense, right? right? Ah, so, I get yeah, it. We're a state institution in, see? in the southwestern part of the state. I've known you like seven years, and I'm finally putting some things together here. So it's um, terribly interesting. Let me tell you. <laughs> well, Coyle and I are going to be talking today about the recent Ghostbusters movie, Ghostbusters Afterlife. This is something Coyle approached. Me about having doing a show about um and my wife and child and I went we went and watched the movie a few few weeks ago and I surprisingly liked it. I liked I expected to like it to a degree. I liked it to more of a degree than I expected to like it. Uh and uh so I was really excited when Coyle reached out to uh, have a discussion about this show. I think it really kind of touches on a lot of Topics that I'm generally interested in, one of which being the nostalgia industry. And I think that this movie has a really interesting intervention in the kind of current uh, nostalgia phase uh, of our culture. And so uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing what Coyle has to say about it. Uh, maybe there's some interesting political subtext you could uh, you could illuminate for me, but, uh, but we'll get there, I guess. Uh, what are your thoughts, though, Coyle, about uh, like what are your sort of initial like opening uh, opening ideas? Yeah, I mean, it- First, it's a great movie. Uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this, and uh, I, I think we, you and I were talking a little bit before the show. I think this is sort of the, uh, the the sequel that the original Ghostbusters needed and hasn't really got. So Ghostbusters 2 was, at best, okay. Uh, kind of a Bill Murray vehicle and not much else. Uh, the uh, oh, And I should have looked, even though we just were talking about this, I should have looked it up. Whatever the all-female cast Ghostbusters was that came out in 2016 uh, was not okay. Yeah. Uh, not not because it was all female, but because it wasn't a very well done movie. I mm-hmm. thought anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, uh, yeah. So so this was this was sort of the sequel that the original Ghostbusters should have had. It mm. just took them almost 40 years to get there. <laughs> uh, and and of course, that's ignoring the cartoon series, uh, which is fantastic. Uh, yeah, you messaged me that you had gone back and rewatched the cartoon series, which well, I frankly not, not had all. forgotten about until you mentioned it. <laughs> yeah, I, I will say, first of all, it's great. And I that may just be nostalgia speaking. Uh, it may just be because I grew up watching that. But it's really, really good. It's also, in the wake of this movie, kind of sad. Because you watch the movie and you're like, well, Egon's dead. Uh, ah. And it's not even that Harold Ramis is dead because he's been dead for a little while now. But it's like, no, the character, like he's gone now. Yeah. 
Yes. And that's one thing that is interesting about the movie and we can get to, um, is the, it really does kind of grapple with the seriousness of death, I think, in a way that maybe the original even didn't do. Uh, and, and I really do feel like it, it in as much as it's a not doing a lot of fan service, I actually do think it's trying to do something slightly. Um, it's a unique addition um, to the franchise as well. And so, yeah, I, I, I definitely thought that they went into some kind of levels of profundity that I, I wasn't expecting. And I think that that's actually really interesting. Um, can I get your general thoughts on the state of no- the culture's like obsession with nostalgia? Uh, I feel like everything is part of a franchise or a reboot. Right. And, um, and I know lots of people have opinions about this. Uh, it's clearly marketable, right? I mean, sure. People of my generation and, and your generation now are now have the disposable income that we're willing to spend money on things <laughs> that remind us of our youth. Right. I mean, that's how nostalgia works. Right. Um, and so we're just, it just happened to catch up to our generations. Right. But, uh, but what are your sort of thoughts on, what's good and what's get, what's bad about that. Yeah. So I have to, to include the disclaimer that I have not seen most of it. Uh, so the remakes and the reboots and all of those, uh, I, I basically just haven't watched 99% of them because I don't have a whole lot of time. And if I'm have time, I'm not going to use it on that. So, yeah. so there's that. Um, but from, from the little bit I have seen, it, it seems that there's sort of the two extremes that most of that nostalgia stuff falls into. Like on the one hand, there's just the, the shameless pandering where they're clearly just out for our money. They don't care at all about the quality of what they're producing. Uh, what matters more is, is that the content is out there, not that it's good. So uh, I think of like the uh, you know, Die Hard 5 or whatever they're on now, right? where maybe they were okay for a while, but there comes a point where you're like, look, you are, you are just running on Steam from the, the quality and success of those earlier films, of the expendables, I think probably falls mm. into that. Even though I think some of that was okay. Yeah. Uh, or, or the Rambo, Rambo last blood or, or whatever. Yeah. I mean, again, there there's, they're not really telling an original story. Uh, it's, it's just trying to get the people who remember fondly the, the earlier versions of it. Yeah. Uh, but then on the other side, I, I think there's the, still the desire to get the, the money from people our age. That's, that's still there. But there's also the sense that we have to get rid of everything undesirable from the earlier side of things. And we end up with this just woke garbage uh, that doesn't even do the, the sort of hackneyed plot well. Uh, and again, I don't keep up with enough of them. So it's not like I have this giant list of things, but that's kind of my gut feeling on that. Yeah. So can you give me an example of that? Like, do you have any, any example in mind? Because I think that's a really interesting point. Yeah, it's I, sort I of like to. politically sanitizing something. Yeah, and, and and which isn't to say that the original stuff so uh, uh it was, you know, not politically sanitized or, or super political itself or whatever. Or even good, right? I mean, yeah, it's it's yeah. fine to look back and see the flaws in something, right? Sure, yeah, sure, okay. of course. Um I I was actually thinking a little bit about that and I unfortunately it's been a little while since I watched it, but at some point I watched one of the reboots of the uh, Ninja Turtles. Okay. <laughs> uh so I don't know if you remember the original, so not the cartoon series, the original movie. Yeah. It was this like indie film and there was profanity in it, which was a huge deal when I was a little kid. Right. The cartoon did not have that. <laughs> and there was like violence and they were fighting real people instead of robots. So there were like consequences if they you know, use the sword. Right. Uh, and then you get into the, the newer one and it's like, well, wait a second. Some of this is clearly toned down uh, to the point where I'm like, uh, 
yeah, they're, they're bigger action scenes, but it feels like this has been sanitized for me. Yeah, I see. That's a good example. Okay. I See, what I was thinking of when you were talking about that is the, uh, the One Day at a Time reboot that was on, I believe, Netflix. And lots of sort of liberal types really love that show, right? Because it re- you remember the, the TV show? I should ask you. You're probably, I don't. You're too young to remember One Day at right. a Time. Uh, like a really great 70s di- sitcom, which is, for me, contains one of the probably five best theme songs uh, on American television <laughs> sitcoms. I really love the <laughs> One Day at a Time theme song. And it's a really great show, which was about this single mother um, raising two daughters in the city. And they have this kind of goofy uh, super named Schneider who, you know, takes care of their house. And, and it's your typical sort of like 70s proto women's lib sort of thing. It's sort of in the wake of Mary Tyler Moore, one of those kinds sure. of um, um narratives and but it was about white people of course right and so um and so the the reboot of it it's a hispanic lady who's got um two two children one of which is a gay woman gay girl and one of which is this boy um who's um i think typically boy i don't remember much about that character and they live with um the i think it's rita moreno the uh the spicy older mom schneider is this sort of like hipster character right and so for me, it was like genetically engineered in a lab to appeal to sort of things that, you know, Vox and the Daily Beast would really think are important cultural issues, right? Um, sure. But I also felt like at the same time, those liberals that liked that show didn't understand, because they were, I think they were seduced by the the veneer of it, right? The, the multicultural veneer of it. Um, without noticing, this is a show that Marco Rubio would just love, right? It's all like very <laughs> pro-military. She's like a vet, right? Um, they trashed Che Guevara in one episode, right? Because they're Cuban. And, and, um, and it's like, it's really sort of like wildly conservative show, right? Uh, that has this like liberal multicultural veneer. And I just felt it was very crass. And, and my kids got into it. And so my, my youngest daughter, for particularly, she was like 10 at the time. She really loved that show. So I kind of watched most of it with her. And, um, but I found myself enjoying it and appreciating. It really does have a lot of good moments and a lot of, it's, it's well done. But I also felt myself like, this is like, like, a sanitized version of nostalgia, right? It's like trying to take something and 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 make it and shoe, shoehorn it into our contemporary kind of mores, right? And so that's my own opinion about that show, yeah. and I'm sure that a lot of people are going to hate me for it. But well, and and to if I can mention another show that I haven't seen either the reboot or the original, uh, and obviously talking about shows we haven't seen can only go so far, right? But uh, uh, I understand something like the Sex in the City reboot does some of that too. Yeah, uh, where. Uh, yeah, and I've missed both of those, both ends of that spectrum yeah. as well. I've never watched that show. Uh, and so I never had HBO before, right? And now that I have it, I, I will never catch up to all that stuff. So I didn't watch the reboot. But um, but it's one of those shows, don't it feel like you, you you know it because people talk about it all the time. So it's like you've almost absorbed it by osmosis. I mean, yeah, I, I suspect my gender prevents some of that. <laughs> probably uh, true. But yeah, uh but it's probably it's probably important to point out that this nostalgia stuff isn't new. Yeah. Uh, I was looking back uh, over some of the stuff that came out in the 90s and the early 2000s. I mean, we're not the first generation they've done this for, right? There was a Brady Bunch movie yes. and a Little Rascals movie. Uh, and I mean, all of that, uh, Leave it to Beaver was a movie at one point in the 90s. Richie Rich, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, they were all 
terrible from what my vague memory of the couple of those that I saw. Yeah. But I'm sure they appealed to our parents' generation. Yeah, yeah. Well, the Brady Bunch movie was sort of right in my wheel. I mean, I kind of grew up watching the reruns of that show, right? And so right. I'm, I'm of a generation where we would watch older shows as part of our entertainment because reruns were sure. still a thing, right? Um, yeah, we did that too. Yeah. Beverly Hillbillies, man. Yeah, exactly, right? Which they yeah. also rebooted in the 90s. Yes, that's true, right? Uh, and they're doing the Munsters right now. Rob Zombie yep. is doing a Munsters remake, right? And so, yeah, you're right. This is a Hollywood has always sort of recycled its um, its previous successes um, for and tried to update it in for contemporary in contemporary ways. And I just with the explosion of content providers because of streaming services now, I. And I have no kind of data to back me up on this, but it just feels like everything now is the extension of some cinematic universe or a reboot or a sequel, right? Um, and, yeah. and, and I feel like so little uh, new material is actually being um, produced. I mean, even material that I really like, I'm teaching my horror film class this semester, and I'm going to be showing them both the original and the new Candyman, right? Um, because I thought the new Candyman was super interesting and really an interesting pairing with that older, really classic movie. So, like, even really good good stuff really isn't original, right? It's like there is no... And I'm, this is me in kind of my lefty leanings. I am thinking of Mark Fisher, um, who wrote Capitalist Realism, uh, and one of his kind of key slogans is the cancellation of the future. And, and there's this sort of like hopelessness about anything beyond the now. So the only thing our imaginations can do is like regurgitate the past, right? And, and so somewhat, I, I am somewhat even though I, I watch these things, I'm watching the Boba Fett show on Disney Plus every week, right, as it comes out, um, for pureliness. Even, even as I'm watching these things and enjoying them, I am at the same time kind of like saddened by, I feel like there's a limit. Uh, that we're being limited to these things. And some are better than others, like I said. Um, I, Nathan and I recently um discussed uh cobra kai not recently it was a couple of years ago when that first yeah season I, was, of, I was on that yeah oh yeah were you on that <laughs> jeez <laughs> i'm so sorry we, we need to get season two episode uh, an episode on season two well there's year. like four now right <laughs> I, yeah i never watched beyond the first season i'm so sorry i forgot it's been so long since we recorded that right. nathan sent us show notes for season two and <laughs> you and i just haven't done it yet well yeah you know Podcasting is a, is a haul, and uh, I, I've decided to not haul as much of it as I used to. Uh, but anyway, but but that show to me is nostalgia at its best, right? To me, it's 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 revisiting the past, and it's it's reinvestigating the kind of flaws and inherent in that past product, right? But not in a kind of con a way that completely panders to the present, right? It isn't like punishing the past for being the past, right? Uh, it's doing really interesting reinventions of the consequences of the past, right? And, and I feel like the, the first season of it that I've seen is just a fan. It's almost like the perfect, it's the prototypical version of nostalgia. And I think this Ghostbusters movie, to get to the topic of the show 15 minutes into it, uh, <laughs> is somewhat, um, is, is more in that line. I feel like this is a really interesting movie because it isn't just doing fan service. I feel like it's doing something actually critical and appreciative at the same time. Yeah. And I, I mean, it is a, uh, even though, and sorry, like, spoiler alert for listeners, I guess, uh, even though the, villains and the monsters are 
basically the same ones from the original movie. It is still an original story. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I think that's to, to your point about they're, they're, they're not making new stuff. They're just redoing this old stuff. This, like you said, this is the best way you can do that, right? It, it is an interesting story told in a way that is both appropriate for the modern world, but that also honors what's best about the past while admitting the, the problems. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I really, yeah, let's just begin the discussion of the movie in that way. Um, because yeah, I feel like it was a really interesting and, and noble movie in a lot of ways. Jason Reitman, the director of it is not some novice. I mean, his movies are really good. You know, um, up in the air is a really like underappreciated, uh, movie with George Clooney and, uh, Vera Farmiga. It's a really, really interesting, um, kind of philosophical movie. Um, I'm doing a class next semester on existentialism and literature, and I actually might show that movie cause I think it really fits in nicely. But, um, so he's. Um, got an, a bit of an auteur uh, in him, right? And so I think he brings a really interesting vision to this. The Just for those of you who haven't seen it and don't wish to, um, there will be spoilers in the show, but uh, for, I will kind of, as best I can remember, re, uh, recount the plot. Um, Egon's from the original... Uh, we find out that he's sort of vanished with all the Ghostbusters money and equipment, basically, um, and moved out to the middle of America, like Oklahoma. Oklahoma, or, yeah. yeah. And um, and found some farm to live on where he, he just grows dirt, right? Uh, he's the dirt farmer. And um, and his he dies at the beginning of the movie um, as, as a very old man. And his daughter, his strange daughter, um, whose name I forgot. Corey, what was her name? Uh, oh, yeah, I don't remember. Uh, Callie, um, her, his estranged daughter, daughter Callie, played by Carrie Coon, is um, and her two children are living kind of like uh, sort of very poverty level lives in the city. Um, they find out they inherit this house. They go to the house, and the youngest daughter, um, Phoebe, or the daughter Phoebe. There's a son, uh, Trevor, and the daughter Phoebe. Uh, Phoebe is. Uh, kind of like a mini Egon. She's scientific. She sort of looks a lot like Egon. Um, and so she's sort of the inheritor of Egon's essence, <laughs> I guess you would say, right? And so she discovers, with the help of Egon's ghost, uh, the secrets of ghost busting. And she finds the equipment and discovers the mystery that he wanted everybody to solve. And there's a, another confrontation with um, the... Uh, uh, Gozer. Gozer, thank you, uh, at the end, uh, which is a really interesting uh, revision of that whole narrative as well. And so that's basically the, the plot. Um, and, uh, and so any, so what particularly is interesting to you about the movie? Yeah, I mean, there, there's obviously, as, as with any movie, you can't push too hard at it because it raises continuity questions and plot hole questions and so on, like a uh, the, the mother is really upset with Egon for abandoning them, but we learn nothing about uh, where was her mother at and, mm. you know, the, the timeline there for abandonment. Like, did she just never know him? In which case he abandoned them in what, like 1983? Yeah. I mean, it, you know, and uh, and they make that. a point. I mean, Annie Potts' character pops in for like yeah. one minute in the beginning when she moves in. I think only to make the point that that wasn't her mother, right? I because I, yeah. I would have assumed that he and that she and Egon got together. And, and no, she and she and Rick Moranis get together in the second movie. Oh gosh, it's been so long since I've seen the second movie. <laughs> okay, okay, I got you then. Okay, uh, uh, nonetheless, there was the flirtation in the first movie, so they wanted to right. kind of drive that point home. That it was not uh, Annie Potts, but go ahead. Well, and then uh, there's the, uh, the the daughter uh, Phoebe, who 
doesn't believe in ghosts. And yet this is a world where everybody knows about what went on in New York in the eighties. Yeah. Right? So, so again, you can't, they, they give her that moment of discovering that ghosts are real when she encounters the ghost of Egon. Uh, but it's also a quick, like instant, like, well, I guess there are ghosts now. <laughs> and then, and then we're on to the next thing. And the culture is just like accepted. Oh man, we're back in the, like, they've kind of moved on yeah. and it's like no big deal anymore. It's almost like if we discovered aliens and, and, and we just like 20 years later, like, Oh, that was weird. <laughs> and then just yeah. kind of moved on as if it didn't mean anything. Right. Um, but go ahead. Yeah. No. So, so again, there, there, those sorts of issues, uh, uh, again, I, I think the the plot is pretty well structured. They they get around the what about the technology and why aren't they taking videos of this so everyone can believe in ghosts again by putting it in Oklahoma and saying, well, there's just no cell service there. <laughs> so no one has access to the internet or anything like that. Uh, and then it doesn't matter that they're using 80-year-old cars and or 40-year-old uh, uh, cars and driving around with, with old equipment. Somewhere. Yeah, everyone else is too, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I have to say one thing I was really struck by was I thought they did a great job of making that landscape really beautiful. Like I, I actually was the story world was just really kind of like uh, fascinating to me. And for sometimes I enjoy a movie just because of the setting, right? Um, I can imagine just living in the setting, right? And they actually made that flat um, small town landscape like really visually interesting. I, I thought well, it's, that, it's set in Canada. So it's, it's filmed in Alberta. <laughs> okay. So uh, Maybe that's why <laughs> Yeah, but, but, you're, you're loving Canada there, but nonetheless, I mean, it was a really nice, um, uh, just cinematography of it. It is just really beautiful. And, and they kind of, you don't notice really that you're not in New York city anymore, right? You're, you still have a really interesting place to look at. And, uh, I didn't, I guess I'm not surprised. I mean, everything's filmed in Canada now, right? But, um, but, and, and some of that's the uh, the music, right, uh, that they set over it, where they draw on the music of the original uh, to set the mood and to set the tone and to uh, uh, make you feel like even though you're not in the city, right, that the same kinds of important things are going on there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so a couple of things, I mean, I don't want <clears throat> to, I kind of want you to say what you want to say, but a couple of things that strike me about this movie that where it kind of falls into the before we get to the cameos and the appearances of the original cast right so that's the the big twist at the end is the original ghostbusters the living ones uh show up to help save the day at the end um i have to say that's the part of the movie that i found the absolute weakest um and, and oh really and i thought I, that was kind of fun and, and i'll uh I'll, I'll 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 connect i'll talk about that when we get there but um there are other ways in which this movie is very neatly like in the wheelhouse of the current nostalgia industry. First of all, the casting of Paul Rudd, right? <laughs> Who everyone loves. I don't hate Paul Rudd at all. Like everyone loves Paul Rudd and he's fantastic in this movie. Like he's, he does what he does and, and he's just brilliant at it. Like I think he adds a lot to the movie, but just his presence is bringing Paul Ruddness into the movie, which is um, you're bringing this kind of beloved current figure into it, right? And the other is uh, Finn Wolford, um, Trevor, the the young the son, um, who's from Stranger Things, right? And so, which is a movie, which is a TV show, excuse me, that's in itself indebted into ghost to Ghostbusters, right? And so, there's the one scene where they're dressed as the Ghostbusters, and and, and Stranger Things. I've not seen, but oh, I've, yeah. heard I've seen the first season of it, and then I kind of figured out I didn't need to watch any more of it. But um, on, on Paul Rudd, uh, I was 
blown away by uh i mean he his character he does a great job with i think it's it's yeah. a fun character and uh for a new character that's about as good an introduction as you can you can get yeah but when he is uh possessed by the key master yeah uh, i'd watched uh, the first ghostbusters and then rewatched the new one he he is basically doing rick moranis as a possessed rick moranis yeah and it is so spot on <laughs> it's phenomenal yes yeah there is the moment right where um in this case um like he gets to be the key master and uh the gatekeeper uh possesses uh, Egon's daughter, um, Callie, right? And right. so there's been this flirtation between them throughout the whole movie. They've been sort of dating. And then, yeah, when they finally do consummate that, it's as Key Master <laughs> and, yep. and, and Gatekeeper, right? Uh, and so, which is kind of funny. And they have this awkward moment afterwards when they realize what's happened. But, um, but yeah, so that's another thing where they kind of directly quote the plot of the original. But so, you, did you think that the, the casting in general, like, works for this movie? Yeah, I mean the the new cast. I, other than Paul Rudd, I don't know that I know any of them from anything else. So I I don't have any of the background there, the Stranger Things or uh, McKenna Grace. Apparently, has done some other stuff where she plays a similar character, and she's some kind of musician too. So I again, yeah. that's yeah. When she came on the screen, my daughter's like, oh, she's in everything. Like <laughs> my my, my seventeen year old daughter, uh, like uh, knows her from like I, apparently everything. And so, um, yeah, so she's uh, yeah, apparently a pretty famous um, actress um, herself. But and I knew the one guy from um, uh, from Stranger Things. But yeah, so but I did think that the casting worked as yeah. I, I, in terms of just like. What if the characters from the original that we're paying such homage to, how would they exist in today's world, right? And I felt like McKenna Grace as Phoebe um, really did like inhabit the spirit of Egon, right? Um, she's uh, and and I thought that uh, Finn Wolford like kind of looks like a character who would be in New York City at that time, right? Um, from the eighties, right? And so yeah. Well, and who would he? He would be the. I guess he would be the. Vinkman character, I guess. Uh, yeah, to a degree, yeah, because he was like um, the most skeptical and had to be brought in, right? But then well, becomes and, essentially part of it, right? And he's the one who does something to chase a member of the opposite sex. True, like gets a job for the purpose of yes. hitting on this girl. Lies about his age to, uh, yes, that's true. The police chief's the, daughter, the, <laughs> right? And then the the podcast kid. Yes, uh, I think his name is just podcast. Podcast. Uh, <laughs> Clearly, clearly is race dance. Yes. And at the end, that that's that was the part that we just loved, right? Um, yeah. When he meets race dance. as So podcast is this little really adorable kid who's like kind of an outcast at school and carries a microphone everywhere he goes and interviews people for his podcast. And, uh, and so they just call him podcast. And uh, and so he's really funny and, and yeah, definitely kind of enthusiastic. And when he gives the impression of Ray and at the end when he meets Ray, um, Ray knows his podcast and, and, and he says, oh, you're my subscriber. <laughs> so it's a really, really great moment, right? Uh, but yeah, that kid is, is hilarious. And, you know, as someone doing a podcast, right, I can imagine, I, I appreciate the the parody of the form, honestly. Um, and so, no, I, I thought he it was a great addition. And somebody like that would have to exist. I mean, if Ghostbusters from 1980, whatever, two or three, um, if it existed today, you would have to have a podcast character in it, right? And so I, I thought that that, um, that worked out really well. Um, well and uh, uh, what was her name? Uh, the, the fourth Ghostbuster. Oh, um, Lucky. Lucky. There we go. Lucky. Yeah. Uh, she is 
the uh, the, the Winston character who comes on board last and is kind of level headed and down to earth. And- yeah. Well, and that's a good transition. Um, let's talk about. And if you want anything, you want to add to this, um, like interject right we're not working from a strict outline here so i don't want to i don't want to eliminate what you want to say um but that's for me it's a good transition to talk about the roles of the original cast in this movie um so egon is dead they do a nice cgi recreation of his image for the ghost version of him right um but um so he's sort of implied in the movie more than anybody else whereas Bill Murray's characters in there, Dan Aykroyd comes in, and of course uh, Winston comes in um, as this as the person who basically became the only person who became successful uh, after the time of the Ghostbusters. And he's well, he's he's rich. I mean, I think Bill Murray is like a retired professor of marketing or something like that, right? That is true. Yes, yeah, I forgot they mentioned that. Yeah, but he's sort of like like is taking care of everybody else. You get the, you get the sense that he became, he became a CEO of some company that he founded and became like super rich. And at the end the post credit scene, I think you see him going back to the old garage, which incidentally, um, I went to New York for Thanksgiving and the Ghostbusters fire station is like in the neighborhood we were staying in. And so I got to walk by it (laughs) several times. Actually, it's actually pretty cool. Um, but, uh, uh, but, I had a slight issue with the use of the old characters in this movie. I, I want to kind of give you a chance to um, talk what you liked, talk about what you liked about it, though. Yeah. So, I, I mean, obviously, it is a Ghostbusters reboot, who or not reboot, but sequel. So it's important to have them in it. Uh, they were also in the all-female cast one, uh, okay. the, the Ghostbusters answer the call, but not as themselves. Uh, they were there as. I don't remember all the specifics of who they played, but they, they were there as other, I think one of them was a cab driver. One of them like owned a, owned a funeral home or something like that. Uh, so it's, it's not the first time they've been in a movie, but because this is a direct sequel and because I'm sure they're going to turn this into some kind of franchise where they keep making them. Uh, I think the having the old and the new generation together fighting the bad guy, right? That's that sort of symbolic handing off, like moment of unity. And now it's the, the young people's turn to come along and take over. Uh, I, I don't know how you do that movie without something like that. If you're not going to just utterly dismiss everyone that came before you, like if, if the message is they were all awful, the eighties were a terrible time. We're done with that. All right. You don't, you don't need them there. Yeah. Uh, if the message is let's keep the best of this and let go of the worst as when they punish Vinkman for electrocuting students at the end. Yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a funny moment. Yeah. And it was great to see Sigourney Weaver, honestly, back in it. Yeah. You, you get the impression that they ended up together, right? And, uh, yeah. and yeah, it's actually kind of awesome. Um, let me just like say, like, at the be- the first appearance of them is Ray. He's working in some sort of like cheap, like, Ray's run, a cult bookstore. Like an occult bookstore, right? Yeah. Um, which one would expect, right? Um, maybe my alternative career, if, I, if I'm honest. <laughs> if I were doing this, I'd probably want to do something like that, right? Um, and solve paranormal mysteries at night, right? Um, but the um, uh, Phoebe calls him for, like, advice or help or something, because I think she's in jail or something for whatever they were doing with the uh, with the running through town, destroying things with proton blasters, right? Um, and so... Um, and so Ray then like kind of tells the backstory of how Egon um, withdrew from everybody, took everything, 
and um, and said he had some divine mission. And as it turns out, he did discover some sort of epicenter in Oklahoma where um, – oh, what's the guy's name that tried Evo to – Evo Shandor. Shandor, yeah, who's exactly. in this case played by um, J.K. Simmons, which is, yep. uh, the, uh, which is a nice little – another kind of nod to fan culture. But um, so he tells him the sort of backstory and then he kind of forlornly – like ends the conversation, right? And so we see Ray as this sort of like loser in the wake of all this in the middle of the movie. Um, but then like they kind of show up out of nowhere in uniform with proton blasters in the fight with Gozer, right? At the end. And I felt like it was hammy. Okay. And, sure. and I felt like I liked having them in. I didn't like seeing Bill Murray up and, and Winston appear out of nowhere, right? With no sort of like other attachment to the movie. And I just want to say the fact that this movie was in the theaters simultaneously with the new Spider-Man movie, I think for me showed its weakness. Like in, in the, this was the one weakness I had with the movie was that I felt, have you seen the new Spider-Man movie? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so, those of you who are listening and haven't seen that, surely you've gotten the spoilers by now. It's been out for like two months, right? But um, so the the nostalgia package of that movie is woven into the plot, right? They, they are there at the before the climax of the movie, and they are like part of the movie. Um, and so this, they didn't feel like tacked on at the end with some sort of like deus ex machina sort of um, way. And so I felt like the Spider-Man movie handled it absolutely perfectly okay and i feel like it demonstrated for me the really the only complaint i had about this movie was i felt like that was sloppy i felt like they could have in a more in a way more integral to the plot integrated those characters uh into the movie with just more finesse i maybe is all i'm saying so that's that's my one critique yeah you, you have to do a lot of sort of filling in the blanks to get them there right that the movie doesn't do for you like you you have to go from she had this phone conversation with Ray and they show up. So you have to fill in that he must have called them and, and, they, and somehow they had access to this equipment that they didn't have anymore. Right. And so, right. <laughs> and so there's so many sort of like uh, plot holes to that, but I was willing to live with it because I enjoyed the movie so much. Right. Um, well, and it did a, it did a great, why can't they just do the same thing again? Yes. Right? Uh, uh, cross the streams again. And uh, then, then she's gone. Well, somehow Gozer figured out a way to, beat that yeah 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 no it's uh and and it really does i mean there's some real stakes there and then when egon's ghost comes in and and helps it's like the final piece of the puzzle or whatever uh to get this whole thing um like taken care of uh it really does work 90 that scene works i feel like that scene doesn't work as well with the rest of the movie uh if that if that makes any sense to me if that makes it works on its own but it doesn't fit quite as well into the plot yeah yeah, that, that, that's my one complaint about the movie. And I felt like that's the one moment where if you want to think about nostalgia as this sort of like uh, spectrum with like Cobra Kai at one end doing it perfectly um, and I don't know, Fuller House or something uh, <laughs> doing it like the most crass and shameful way, <laughs> you know, um, then that's the one moment where it edged towards Fuller House away from Cobra Kai. Right. Uh, th- th- I would say that. Um isn't it? I, I think it's also incredible how Ernie Hudson has aged so much better oh my than uh, Bill Murray, even though he's older than Nick. <laughs> he looks he's great. A, he, yeah, he is 76. He, and uh, 
Bill Murray, I think, is 71 or 72, and Dan Aykroyd's like 68. Yeah. He doesn't essentially look any different, right? <laughs> he, uh, not much. He looks great, right? Yeah, it's so yeah. true. Um, and maybe that's, I don't I assume it's more than just makeup, right? Um, but I mean, his character has done better, so maybe there's something to do with that. But <laughs> but uh, but no, but uh, I thought that that was great. And and I did, like I said, think that the, um, the moment at the end where he sort of takes over the garage and he seems to be going to, Almost like Batman investing his wealth in the kind of reestablishment of the Ghostbusters, right? right. Um, um, with these new, this new fresh blood, perhaps you know, um, I can totally see a new franchise out of this. You're 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 completely right about that, right? Um, and, and I don't. So there there is a there is a cartoon. I I don't I haven't seen all of the cartoon series. I'm I'm slowly working my way through it. But uh, <laughs> is this uh, the real a, Ghostbusters? Yeah. So the real Ghostbusters okay. that they made after the movie. Yeah. Uh, there was a later cartoon where it was like kids with Egon as their like mentor or guide or whatever. I never saw it, but I could if I knew more about that, I'd know whether or not this is like a good parallel for what they did there. So there's there's precedent for that, uh, and it's canon precedent. Okay. But uh, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know how well it lines up. Okay, very interesting stuff. Um, I, I want to eventually get to the ways in which this new new entry is both kind of respectful, but particularly uh, has some insight about the flaws of the past. Um, but before I'm, we get there, I want to give you the chance to uh, to talk about whatever sort of aspects of the of the movie that you wanted to talk about. Oh no! Let's 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 go there. Yeah. Okay. So, like, like we said, it it definitely recognizes the fun of the movie, right? And and Paul Rudd is the perfect actor, really, to capture that kind of tone, right? That kind of comedic tone. Um, you could have, I mean, your observation about him doing Rick Moranis, spot on, right? Um, like, I really do feel like, I mean, he was obsessed you know with with the imitation right and so and and it worked really well and and so and so there's a lot of the way a lot of ways this movie is very respectful of the past and you see it with phoebe like she has this great respect for her grandfather right um once she figures out who he is and so i also feel like the movie doesn't completely let egon off the hook for abandoning everybody right And, and i feel like that's a moment where it, it was brave to kind of do that in a nostalgia vehicle, right? Um, to have something kind of actually contemplative and um, and, and sort of like self-critical uh, going on there, particularly when the director of this movie is the son of Ivan Reitman, the director of Ghostbusters, right? And so uh, what are your thoughts generally about the – it's kind of critique of the past? Yeah, I mean, they, uh, they, they obviously play that up with uh, – uh, oh, his daughter – whose name I'm not forgetting. Callie. Uh, Callie. Uh, so they, uh, Callie played by Carrie. That's yes. what's going on. Um, <laughs> so uh, they, they play that up with how bitter she is against her dad, who apparently, like in, in the context of the movie, just left. Uh, and for whatever reason, did not take them with with him, did not call. I, I mean, it, it's unclear. And we're, we're, we're given no backstory, as with the sort of why did the Ghostbusters just show up at the end? We're, we're not told. Like, did he not call? Was her mom intercepting all of that? Like, what what was going on? Uh, Who was the they're, mom, they're, right? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and they're they're very clear that this was not okay. Mm-hmm. Like, they're they're very clear that this was a failing on his part. 
Um, and he is, you know, not great at money. He abandons his friends. He is in massive debt. Uh, when, uh, uh, when Callie shows up, they're like, well, you get the house and you get the debt. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, uh, there, there are all sorts of failures there, but we also see the other side of that is, yeah, all of those things are real world personal wrongs that happened. He had a good reason for doing that, right? We, we see that he was there fighting Gozer when no one would believe him, which I think is also a plot hole. Like, if Egon is like, Hey, the world's going to end the other three ghostbusters laugh at him. or like, you're a crazy person. Yeah. I mean, after seeing, you know, the marshmallow man, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe you'll listen to the guy and go check it out. Go to Oklahoma and check it out. You know, um, right. <laughs> uh, but uh, again, he's, he's, he is fighting that all along. And we also find out that he is in fact, keeping track with his daughter, right? He, he is keeping up with her life and at least, interested in what's happening uh even if he's not involved yeah she finds this um oh bulletin board uh for lack of a better word with press clippings and and like photos of her life basically and so she sees that he was kind of keeping watch on her um from his own like his little nest right in oklahoma and uh and so that's a moment where she sort of gets to some forgiveness herself. Right. Um, and yeah, I totally agree with all that. Right. So there is a, a way in which Egon's actions in the past are like kind of not just celebrated as like, Oh, here's the, the, the hero who did what he had to do. Right. There was like real human consequence for, um, for having done that. And he did ruin lives basically, um, by doing things the way he did them. Um, and yeah, there was, I mean, if I'm misunderstanding Ray's speech, he, he like, ripped i mean he like stole everything from the company right um and, and yeah. to go off and do this on his on his own so he kind of ruined their lives too um i mean of course vinkman um comes out okay apparently he's uh <laughs> married to a wealthy you know classical musician <laughs> and whatnot, <right? laughs> so but uh um but i guess i'm interested i read an article um like an interview type of article with um jason reitman the director um who has gone on to like have his own very distinctive career, very different from Ivan Reitman, his, his father. Right. So Jason Reitman very much does. I mean, he's kind of as close to like auteur um, that we have in, in young filmmakers today. Right. He's sort of in that, that Wes Anderson sort of um, like strata where he does quirky independent cinema, right. Rather than um, commercial cinema where, which, Commerce is its first concern, right? Uh, if, if that makes any sense. Um, and so, yeah, so like I said, Up in the Air is a fantastic, uh, very thoughtful and artistic movie, right? And, and Juno was great, right? And so he um, was approached or did one of the Transformers movies. Like, uh, and I don't know if he actually did one or was approached to do one. And so it wasn't as if he was sort of like like never going to do blockbuster movie, but he was never going to do a Ghostbusters movie. Um, uh, he, he really had no interest in doing that as an artist. Right. And so, and as it turns out, like as he's making this, he, he found that this was like the most personal movie he ever made because he was sort of dealing a little bit with his own kind of relationship with his father. So there is a little between, um, Callie and Egon, there is a little bit of a mirror between, um, Jason Reitman and Ivan Reitman as, this kind of absent father, he's an in-demand director who wasn't home much. Right. And so there's a little bit of like tension built into that. And honestly, it's pretty, I mean, pretty, uh, ballsy to, uh, I think I could say that on the, 
on the network to take it's your show. You say what you want to like um, to like uh, insert that kind of like like reflection in such a popular form like that was directed by your father, right? I mean, and, and his father loved the movie, by the way. He, he cried and, and was entirely um, loved it. He didn't even detect that. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> it's typical, right? Uh, you didn't even get my rebellion, Dad, right? Um, but uh, but I, I, felt like, I felt like that was really kind of a profound part of the viewing experience for me, too. Yeah, and it's it's there, and it's obviously there. But it's there's not much of it. Like it doesn't dominate the movie. I could I could see that taking over to the point where it becomes kind of insufferable. More like those artsy movies that you were, you yeah. were just talking about a minute ago. Yeah, um, it, it could. It would have been inappropriate, right? To sort of like um, uh, it would have been like a bait and switch sort of thing, and right. and, and yeah, and it, it it injected. It's sort of like it injected the spirit of that into it, and just let that injection kind of work its way through the movie, um, and not have to kind of ham fisted into it. Right. And so I, I, yeah, I felt like it was done in a very kind of tasteful and, and provocative way. And so, yeah, I, I have to say I was really, really um, impressed with the kind of the, the handling of all that stuff. So. Well, and it's, it's interesting because if Kelly is the Jason Reitman figure here, he doesn't come off that well. Like she, I, I suppose you could read her as she is a blunt mother, but I think she is also pretty clearly not a great mother. Yes, she's very sort of dysfunctional, right? I mean, possibly an alcoholic. I mean, again, we're not we're not given a whole lot of detail, but she seems not to have a job, not to be able to. Yeah, uh, and and we don't know what what her circumstance is, uh, but I mean, her kids are the ones fixing the car and keeping literally keeping the lights on. Yeah, <laughs> uh, opening opening doors that are locked that they can't get into. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, it's true, right? Um, yeah, there's a way in which she's like. Um, like dysfunctional in her own, in her own way. I mean, and, and you could trace that to the abandonment issues, I suppose. Right. But, um, but. And, and can be filled in anyway, right? Again, we're not given backstory there. We're, we're just given little snapshots of it. Yeah. Gosh, my uh, memory of it, it's been like a month or so since I've seen it now, but yeah, my memory of it is there was a clear indication that she had a, a drinking problem at one point. Um, or maybe I just overread that into it, but I mean, we, we see her drinking like passed out at the table. And she talks about liking drinking, but yeah. no, I don't. I don't think they ever say it. Yeah, it, yeah. I, it's again, you can you can kind of fill it in how you want. Like yeah. you say, well, you know, she's she is remodeling this house. We also see her buying paint supplies and True. working on the house too. Yeah. So and and dating, right? She ends up. Um, yep. The Paul Rudd plays the teacher uh, for uh, his daughter, and uh, and yeah, there's a uh, you know they 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 meet and, and there's an attraction there, and so yeah, you you do get the sense that there is a future for all these characters after this uh, after this event. But um, do you want to talk a little bit about Gozer in this movie? Oh. Um, I, it's kind of hard to talk about this without the, the 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 big bad, right? And so yeah, I mean it's it's an interesting character. Uh, not least because it doesn't Gozer doesn't really change from the previous movie mm-hmm. uh, other than crossing the streams doesn't work now. Yeah. Gozer has figured out a way to, to overcome that. Um, I, I don't know enough about what we're supposed to do with the character other than it's the, the big bad. I mean, you, you could plug any, any world destroying force in there and have the same kind of movie basically. Yeah. I, the way I took it. So, they didn't have to kind of use the same villain, right? Uh, from sure. from the first Ghostbusters, and so I, I always try to think like the artist, like what what's behind the choice to use the same villain, and, and I kind of feel like 
it it works with the idea of handing things off. Like so, there was the, the first generation attempted uh, some sort of intervention in the world, uh, and it was its success was limited, right? And and the problem of evil was not solved, right? There's still Nazis right. out there, whatever. Uh, <laughs> and, and so we we have to uh, um, pick up the 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 same fight of, as our forefathers, kind of thing, right? And so I kind of took it as a purposeful choice to sort of. Talk about the kind of to not be overly heroic about the original Ghostbusters, right? Yeah, they they beat them in New York. They beat Gozer in New York that one time, um, but really that was a minor kind of <laughs> kind of victory at um, at the time. And and the idea of bringing um, I can't remember the name. What's the name of the the, the dude, the the architect that? Uh, oh, Shandor. Shand- Evo Shandor. Yeah, Evo Shandor. Um, so he has created this sort of like temple in the middle of Oklahoma, basically to resurrect Gozer. And, <laughs> and, and, and he's, his body is there. Right. And, um, and he wants to be sort of uh, resurrected uh, with her or it, I guess it's sort of a, 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 a it transcends gender. Right. And so, um, and so I think um, uh, he wants to be there to sort of rule alongside Gozer. Uh, so his body is there and he, every time, well, so these these cycles where the town is feeling earth uh, earthquakes, and we find out that Egon has gone into that temple and set up the uh, a system of uh, proton guns, right, the, the stolen proton packs, yeah, are, are yeah. crossing the streams and yes. pushing Gozer back. Yeah, every time she's trying to rise up, um, she's being pushed back, right? And Apparently, so, every day. Yes. Yeah, and so like um, that's that's the thing that he's sitting there, sort of overwatching, and then and then the new book Ghostbusters come in and finish the job, right? But um, and so I thought it was a really interesting um, continuation of that story, and, and I thought it was interesting to continue that story um, rather than just move on to some new big bad, um, because I felt like it just led to a, an interesting continuation of the story, but also offered. Uh, kind of a critical eye on that earlier generation that did good things, but they weren't entirely successful. Which is something the, uh, the video game I think does also, although mm. I've, I have not played it. The, uh, uh, the nineties, early two thousands video game kind of picks up the story, uses all the voice, like all the voices, like it's the actors as the characters. Mm. Uh, and Gozer is just one part of this bigger narrative that it's, it's telling. Um, I did think it was interesting though. One of the things uh, Phoebe says when she calls Ray and is like, yeah, you know, there's this mountain and these ancient carvings. And he's like, kid, there's always some mountain and all these ancient carvings. <laughs> yeah. The whole world's full of that crap. Right? Yeah. <laughs> world's always about to end. Come on. <laughs> True. Right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, and that's, I mean, a lesson for all of us, I guess, because I mean, how am I not like Ray sometimes in that moment, right. Where I'm just like, sick of the battle right and and yeah the world's always going to end i just you know i can't do it anymore i can't deal with it right and so well and, and 90 percent of the time 99 percent of the time you know yeah like 99 percent of the time it's really not the end of the world it's yes. just irritating or just a minor bag deal or whatever <laughs> but then there's always that one right? there's there's always the one time yeah yeah which yeah well you've they found the political subtext i think then um <laughs> when you're talking about there so you political scientist you um and so um no i thought that uh, the, the gozer scene was really interesting and it is also interesting that when when shandor like 
does arise and, and he sort of greets Gozer at her return um, and tells her that they're going to rule together. And she like immediately, like just in the most gruesome way possible, like tears her in <laughs> half or something. It's like really disgusting. Right. <laughs> so he waited all that time uh, and uh, just to be butchered again. Right. And so, uh, yeah, it was, that was pretty interesting. Um, well, do you have any other uh, things that you want to cover? Any things you want to talk about? Uh, I don't think so. I know I sent you a, like a, brief list and I don't remember what was on that. So no, <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> yeah. I'm really glad you contacted me about this. I, I haven't been, you know, listeners will know I haven't been like keeping up with the podcast like I used to. I don't have really the sort of the, the mental energy to sort of generate ideas like this. And so, but I'm really happy you uh, came, came to me with this because it was a lot of fun and a lot of, I mean, it really, I am interested in the sort of like possibilities and limitations of nostalgia, right? Like I'm not somebody who thinks nostalgia is always a bad thing. I think that it does offer sort of sometimes a corrective vision into the past, right? That isn't necessarily always salutary. And, and so I, I really kind of saw a lot of that in this movie and I really kind of appreciated that about it as well. And I saw the new Spider-Man movie as well. I think it does that a lot as well. The whole idea that, you know, villains might be able to be saved if we try hard enough is uh, is a really interesting like sort of critique of the past. And so um, and and yeah, and I'm thinking of uh, nostalgia kind of broadly. I'm remembering Frederick Jameson's book on postmodernism where he talks about like even a movie like Star Wars as being a nostalgia movie, even though it takes place in the future uh, and it's like science fiction, I guess technically it's a long time ago, but, um, <laughs> but, uh, but, um, but even though it's science fiction and we think of it as futuristic, it's actually its form is that of this old like Western serial. Right. And, and therefore it has this uh, role of nostalgia in society rather than anything else, which kind of keeps us from kind of making progress. And I honestly, I have my doubts on that approach to things. I, I, I don't know that progress exists without the dialectic of, of the past, right? And, and, and I, and I think that, um, and I think that there are better and worse ways to do nostalgia, right? As I said, and I think I mentioned a few on this, this show already. And I think this is actually, with the exception of the ham-fisted way in which the characters were brought in in the end, I feel like a really good example of, of the possibilities of nostalgia. Yeah, I mean, it is it is a good telling of something from the world of the Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters in the 21st century. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's almost like a fan fiction, right? And, and, and it sometimes needs that kind of um, that distance from the original creator in order to see what's really interesting about it. And, and yeah, and I think that Jason Reitman taking so many years to do this movie – um, was probably good. It gave him sort of a kind of perspective on the past that I think helped this movie out a lot. I'm also thinking of the Hannibal TV series now, which is very much a fan fiction. It's like people not really from within that world, like looking at it as a whole and playing with it, right? And doing something really interesting and new um, with with the story world. And I kind of think in some ways that's what he did here, um, was he took the parts uh, of the old story, of the old Lego set, and, uh, and he constructed an entirely new Lego kit out of it. Better source material, though. <laughs> uh, 
I'm, the, I'm, I'm not a Hannibal fan. <laughs> so I haven't seen the TV series, so I don't mean to criticize that. Yes, uh, yeah. But the original movie and the book, I thought were both pretty terrible. Oh, gosh, I'll fight you on those, though. I, I, <laughs> I love all those books, and I, I love all those movies. And so um, I, I have to say, I don't love the Hannibal movie that much. Um, I felt like that one was a bit – it's been a while since I've seen it. Maybe I need to revisit it. But uh, um, all the other movies I really loved, and I love the books. And so – and the TV series is, is – uh, as the pinnacle of human culture, I think. And so <laughs> perhaps I overstate, but uh, that's okay. Well, Quill, thanks so much. This has been so much fun talking to you. How's things going over on City of Man? Anything uh, uh, coming out? That uh, you- we have some stuff coming down the road that as soon as I get it edited, uh, we'll post. And, uh, you know, there will there will be some more occasional episodes uh, as political events transpire. Um, uh, to, to date this a little bit, I guess, I don't know when this episode will post, but... Uh, yeah, well, I, sh- I shouldn't I shouldn't date it because I don't know when this will post. But uh, yeah, we're 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 continuing to broadcast as I have time. So, and I'm sure that as we come up to the midterms, there'll be no political stories to cover. So you could probably yeah. um, you'll there'll be a big break for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, Supreme Court I'm, justice I'm, is retiring and whatnot, right? <laughs> yeah, gosh, there's there's a ton of stuff on the Supreme Court that we should probably do something on. I just. I, I have my thoughts on it and I want to make sure that it's not just my thoughts on it. Yeah. So yeah. I want to make sure that it's someone who ideally someone who knows a lot more about it than I do and who's on the other side and who has time. And uh, <laughs> those, uh, that knowing more about it than I do is super easy, uh, <laughs> but having time, that's where, that's where those people run into it. Understood. Well, if anybody out there listening has that kind of time and knowledge, Look Coyle up at uh, Southwest Baptist University. Um, Associate Professor of Political Science, Coyle Neal. Uh, Coyle, thank you, <laughs> thank you so much for joining me. This has been a lot of fun, and uh, I'd love to talk to you anytime. Uh, have a good one. Absolutely, you too.